Did they actually get that tattoo? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. So we'll talk about that a little bit later in this series, but I do want to say to you, welcome to week one of No Regrets. We'll talk about that in a moment, but I, I didn't want the, the video to speak just by itself. This whole idea of night to shine, I want to say thank you to the hundreds of volunteers that made it possible for our 100 guests uh, and all of their caretakers and their family to just experience the tangible, practical love of Jesus in a real simple way. And because of your generosity, we were able to make that happen and the generosity of several partners across Nacogdoches and Lufkin. And so just wanted to say thank you. We got to celebrate uh, friends and partners that are, attend our own church. We got to, Jana and I got to, at the end of the night, uh, uh, crown the prom queen and king. And the, the cool thing was, everybody was the prom king and prom queen that night and everybody got a tiara and a crown and we got to, I mean, just dance like crazy. You know what's so funny? This kid, Josh, he's got 1.3 million followers on TikTok. This guy can dance. It's amazing. Uh, one of the highlights of, of, of my night is we got to share it with family. My, my, uh, my daughter and her boyfriend came in from college and were able to volunteer with us. And, and so it was real good. It was good. It was good. So anyway, so no regrets. Regret is something every single one of us have faced. It's something that if you took a moment and you begin to look back at the last year or decade, maybe even the last few hours, it could be that you could signal something that you wish or if only uh, you, you thought maybe this could happen or this could, could be different. Uh, and the truth is that um, regret is an emotion. And I want to start with this premise as we jump into this four-week series. I, I want to start with this, and it's, and, and it's this statement. Out-of-control emotions will never produce God-honoring results in my life. Out-of-control emotions. Out-of-control uh, anger, obviously. You might get your, your, your last word in edgewise, but out-of-control emotions will never produce God-honoring results. Um, uh, uh, out-of-control um, fear. There's a healthy fear. Fear can be a fence, keep you from going over. But fear can be a fence and keep you from doing what you're supposed to do. Out of control emotions will never produce godly results in your life. Well, that's just the way I am. You better get off the tracks when the train comes through. And maybe that is who you are. But truly, it's, it's not who you were designed really to be. Out of control emotions will never produce. Furthermore, out of sight emotions, things that we don't grapple with that they kind of are left into left in our hearts unchecked or unnoticed and one of the most overlooked misunderstood and underestimated emotions that you and I deal with is this emotion of regret now in order to kind of situate this is a this is like our takeoff sermon where we're going to kind of take we're going to lift off and we're going to take the next few weeks and we're going to unpack a few particular areas of regret and how they relate to us on, an, on, on everyday life, Monday through Saturday, not just Sunday. 
But let me give you a kind of a working definition. You, it's not in your notes. Um, on the inside of your worship guides or there on your Timber Creek Church app, you can follow along and fill in the blanks. But these aren't fill in the blanks, but you can write it down somewhere. Regret is basically, it's an unpleasant emotion. It's an unpleasant feeling that's associated with an action or an inaction. Something I did or something I shoulda, coulda, woulda done. It's that unpleasant emotion dealt with with an action or inaction which led to circumstances you wish were different. A circumstance or a situation you just wish were different. And all of us, including your, your pastor, uh, we may have little regrets or we may have some big regrets. Regrets that are really take more than today to unpack. Some of us are dealing with regrets that are incredibly obvious, like it's hard not to point those out in our life. And then others that we know it, but we're trying to kind of cover it up a little bit. Regardless of where you are with regrets, this series, um, the idea of this series of how to live with no regrets or no regrets, that, that's, that's, not, that's not it. Uh, because you're gonna have regret. It's a part of humanity. But this series is really about how you lean in to the transformative power of Jesus when you do feel regret, when you do feel a shoulda, coulda, woulda, instead of letting that fester and become something that is a, a negative attribute, something that becomes a stall, it becomes jet fuel to go somewhere else or quicksand to keep you where you are, how do we lean into the transformative power of Jesus and his will be done even when we're dealing with some regrets. To start, I wanna go to the World Regret Survey. Over 16,000 participants um, in 105 countries uh, over the last few years have been adding to the World Regret Survey. This was done by psychologist and author Daniel Pink, and he actually wrote uh, the book called The Power of Regret. And, and he, he was collecting regrets for several years and trying to figure out um, how are they connected? What, what, what do they really do to us? How do, they, how do we navigate these things? And, through that research, really uncovered kind of the hidden architecture of regrets, meaning that out of the 16,000 participants, there were about 27,000 regrets that were posted, and they did research on that, and they really found like this structure of these four key regrets that all of us tend to deal with. Four, four columns or four foundations, if you will, of regrets. If you're taking notes, you can write these down, and all of us at one time or another have dealt with one of these regrets that would be in the column of moral regret. Moral regret, where um, an, an action or an inaction of doing the right thing. And in fact, when you think of regrets, you can think of the words, if only. Everybody say, if only. So like for this, it'd be like, oh, if only I'd done the right thing. In the survey, I read several, and one said, I regret being unfaithful to my husband. A momentary emotional roller coaster led to a, a very long-term uh, time of pain and suffering. I, I, I regret um, cheating on that test. I regret um, you know, not talking to that person about that situation. I, I regret... Um, 
One of them said, I regret not taking that candy to my grandmother who was on her deathbed. I was telling her she didn't need it and she died and I have lived with, I wish I just would have given her that candy. It could be big things or small things, moral regrets. Oh, why did I, why did I let that into my mind? Why, why did I do that thing? Moral regrets. Here's another column and it's boldness regrets, where instead of engaging that, that boldness like a lion, I, I cowered in fear. And this idea is if only I'd just taken the chance. And from the survey, I, I let the fears of what people would think about me keep me from being the kind of person I know I was meant to be. So many so many people stem back to, in high school, I, I wanted to make sure people didn't think wrong about me, and so I tried to be this or be that, and I wasn't bold enough to really try and stand strong for my own beliefs. I regret not standing up for myself when this person said something to me. Um, boldness regrets. Here's the third, connection regrets. And these are really about relationships. This is one of the largest uh, architectures, one of the largest columns where people have some of the, the most regrets were, were, were kind of quantified within this part. And it's basically, if only I would have reached out. From the survey, my brother suddenly died at 41 and I wish I would have spent more time with him. Um, a disagreement between me and my father has led to 12 years of not talking to each other. And it was a simple disagreement at a Christmas dinner. Connection regrets. I said, I hate you to my sister because she, was going, she wouldn't take me somewhere before she was going to her friend's house. And on her way home from her friend's house that day, she died in a car wreck. And the last words I said to her was, I hate you because she wouldn't take me to the store. Connection regrets. Finally, we've got foundation regrets. And the foundation regrets are basically, if only I'd done the work. If only I'd done the work. From the survey, I, I was drinking too much in my early 20s. I got a DUI and it, it derailed my whole plans to join the military. If only I'd done the work, if I just would have stayed focused in college, I would have finished, but I never finished. And my dream of becoming that architect, I was never able to accomplish. If only I'd just done the work and been willing to put in that time, I would have been eating healthier, I would have been saving more, I would have been ready for retirement, and now I'm having to get a job after retirement because I can't, because I, I just regret I didn't put the work in. Wow. Uh, by a show of hands, anybody ever regretted anything? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I felt, I felt the wind off, of, <laughs> off of, the, of the broadcast location, okay, Groves? Like, I felt the, the wind, and maybe you raised your hand too. Yeah. Yeah, I got some regrets. Yeah. I also know that in the good and the bad and the ugly, 
I can still lean into the transformative power of Jesus today. So the God of yesterday is still the God of today and he's still the God of tomorrow. And many times regrets, they're all in the past, but what they do is they kind of put us in a deadlock for what God wants to do in the future. So today, let's deal with whatever's in the rear view or what maybe whatever we're not looking for in the future because Jesus has a plan and it's a good one. Now, here's the wrong response. Because we all have regrets, there's all kinds of wrong responses. And if it's an out of control regret or an out of sight regret, here's what we tend to do. Instead, write it down, instead of checking our regrets, instead of checkity, checkity, check yourself, we, we actually prefer to just kind of carry on. And so by carrying on, instead of dealing with the regret and checking it, we tend to kind of just carry on and walk with it. This is a phenomenon in travel. So many people don't want to check their bags anymore because they don't want them to get lost. They don't want to have to deal with the baggage carousel. So they will stuff the bag as full as they possibly can because they don't want to pay the bag. Who wants to pay baggage fees? And they will carry on. Anybody travel lately like you're trying to carry on as much as possible? Yes, hello. I mean, I tried to get Graham into one of these things. <laughs> just carry-ons, you know, you just wanna carry on and, and because we don't wanna pay the fee, because it is more convenient just to kind of drag it instead of wait for it. And we do this with emotions too, and we do this with life regrets, where instead of setting them there and paying the price of investigation and realization, we'll carry them on and stuff them and just kind of, Hang on to them. Here's a few of those things, and it, what it does is it creates baggage. Let me just give you just a few. Um, here's kind of what regret returns into when we just kind of carry with them unfulfilled expectations. So, so many of us, you're, you're living and walking with an unfulfilled expectation. You wanted it to look like this. An expectation was here, but your reality is here. And the space between expectation and reality, many people live right here. You know what that's called? <laughs> Marriage. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> legit, like, like the wedding, the wedding expectation. <laughs> For better or worse, no, I love you, no, I love you. <laughs> expectation, hair is done right, makeup is perfect, tuxedo, like, like expectation. Three months later, reality. <laughs> so you've got, this, you've got this space between expectation and reality, and in between there comes two things. You can either fill that gap with trust or suspicion. You, you, you trust God in the middle of your expectation and reality and like, oh, okay, this space, I'm gonna trust God, or you're suspicious of God. God, why didn't you let this, or how could you, or he must not have. And we do it not only with God, we do it obviously with each other. We have an expectation of our spouse, we have an expectation of our boss, we have an expectation of, of anybody, of our kids, and then it's reality in that space of trust or suspicion or frustration. And unexpected, unfulfilled expectations can bring regret and it can bring sorrow. Scripture says it pretty clear, hope deferred makes the heart sick. A longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And so what can happen is when something, a longing that you have is fulfilled, it's, sustain, it's so sustaining, it's a tree of life. It's just, oh, you, you can enjoy that fruit. But it can feel 
you can feel spiritually dehydrated, uh, spiritually hungry, emotionally hungry when your hope gets deferred like that. Unfulfilled expectations. Here's another one, untreated pain. We carry that with us because of our regrets and a regret that we've had or something that we've experienced and we didn't, we weren't bold enough to stand up for it or we weren't bold enough to connect or we weren't bold enough to put the work in or whatever that looks like, whatever regret is, it creates a pain and it gets left untreated. And so we try to live life with an untreated issue that's causing us pain. Scripture in Jeremiah, God says to the people, they'll dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. They'll dress the wound as though it's not serious, like it's a gaping wound and they put a little Scooby-Doo Band-Aid on it. That's untreated pain, right? And then they, look at this, how many of us have ever done this? Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Now we may not say peace, peace, but here's what we say, you doing okay? I'm good, I'm fine. That's basically us saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. I'm good, it's okay, it's not, it's not a big deal. And inside your heart, it's a big deal. And it's untreated pain. And regrets can bring that. Here's another one. Unresolved yesterdays. Again, that past that sneaks up where we tend to look more in the rear view than in the windshield. You know how crazy it would be? Um, it would almost be as dangerous as texting while driving if you drove just looking in the rearview mirror all the time. And yet, how many people you live life that way? You live life driving forward looking in the rear view versus the windshield. Scripture says it like this Ephesians, in your angel sin, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Hey, don't give the devil a foothold. When we don't settle our yesterdays, it, it gives the enemy kind of a, a foothold. It gives them an anchor to kind of allow that anger to become something else. That anger to then deposit that emotion and, and, and turn into not just being frustrated or angry, but like can turn into bitterness, can, can, can turn into rage can turn into something that crystallizes your tenderness. Number four, an unhealthy view of self. Now, self-help, self-help uh, is, <laughs> it's okay to read a good self-help book. I, I got them, okay? But self-help, though, the title itself should be an alarm to you. <laughs> self-help. I'm gonna help myself. Like, like your strength just isn't enough. God himself chooses to show himself in community. Three in one, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we just go to self for help, uh, that, that's a dangerous place to be. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to work on self. It's just that you alone aren't enough to work on self. The Apostle Paul says it in Romans, the only accurate way to understand ourselves, the only accurate way that you to really know thyself is by what God is and by what he does for us. Like who he is and what he does 
not by what we are and what we do for him. And, and, and notice that it's not just what we are and what we do. So that could be anybody. Maybe you're here in one of our locations and uh, you're, you're still figuring out whether you would want to um, be a Christ follower. Um, and and you're, you're kind of investing, you haven't quite made that decision. I want you to know we've kind of built this church with you in mind. This is not just for us, for no more, us three, let it be. Like we, we want people that are investigating the claims. Like that's who Jesus was after and, and that's who he wanted to reveal himself to is not everybody who felt like they got it all together. All of us are on a journey. And so I want you to know that not only does, does you, will you understand yourself by understanding who God is more, but as Christ followers, we can't really then define ourselves just by what we do for God. Many people, they think they're a Christian because they, they uh, do things for God versus invite Jesus to be the center of their life. It, it, it becomes a to-do list versus a relationship. And that's what he's after, is a relationship. Here's, here's the fifth one unrepented sin. Now, sin is not that act, just the act that I commit. Sin is the authority I reject. So instead of this A, B, C, D, E, sin, A, B, C, D, E, they all lead to, I want to be the final authority for my life, whether it be a sin of um, cheating, gossip, slander, Criticism, sexuality, um, uh, uh, integrity, all of those things, slice it any way you want. When we say, I'm the final authority, God, on this particular issue, I believe you, believe you, believe you, nah, I'm gonna be the God decider here. That is what sin is. I'm the final authority. Anytime I say, I'm the final authority and God isn't, that's what sin is really is. And unrepented sin means when I allow sin, because guess what? You and I, we love to be the final authority. We love it. We love to be my way or the highway, and not just as a parent to a kid. Like, we, wanna ha we want to be the authority. <sighs> Do not walk on the grass. <laughs> I'm gonna walk wherever I want. Like, like, we love to be the final authority. We do. I mean, we love it. We're addicted to it. Like, we're, we're built with that sin nature in us that's, and yet our spirit is crying out for us to release that and be committed to God and surrender to him as the final authority. Um, there's a struggle with one of the authors there in the book of Psalms, and he says, when I kept silent and I didn't, like, repent of my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long because it, it, it messed with me. It messed with me. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Like, when I, when I was dealing with that final authority stuff in my life, like, it, it, it will zap you because there's so much of your strength that will, it is very finite, and yet his strength is limitless. But you run out of your strength eventually. And the psalmist, I love what he says at the very end of this. He puts like a, a slang, and a, a Jewish slang on it, and he says, Selah. He says, this is where it was, Selah. He's like, think about it, yo. 
Think about it. That's what Selah means. Think about it. He's like, man, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. No cap. On God. (laughs) He goes on to say, and the truth is a man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. And that's kind of what happens with us when we let anything, like even a little regret, cause us to begin to carry things that we're never meant to carry but offer to the Lord, stuff that we try to fill the gap and, and, and kind of soothe the stuff in our lives. And we deal with that view of self and we deal with the unrepented sin, we deal with the unfulfilled expectations. And the question is, how, how do we get here? How do, we get, how do we get to a point where those things fester to a, to a point where they boil over? Let me, let, me, let me tell you, write it down. We get there gradually. It's just a little bit over time. But guess what? It's not just gradually. We get there gradually and then suddenly. It's just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And finally somebody wakes up and says, how did I get here? How did I let it go this far? Why didn't I deal with this earlier? And the deal was, we didn't see it until we saw it because it was just gradual stuff in our life. So if that's the, the wrong response of carrying all these things, and, and, and you know what, even what we can do is we can kind of put a cold shoulder or a blind eye to it and we can say, no regrets, I got no regrets, I got no regrets. And, and, and the, tr- the truth is, that's, that's just not impossible. Do you know that God even had regrets? God had regrets. The very essence of the word regret, you know what it means? To sigh. So everybody just give me a good sigh. Ready? All locations, one, two, three, just give me a good sigh. Oh, man. Oh, the, the room just got depressed. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right, now everybody give me a good, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You don't have to do that. But like it is, it's like, <sighs> you ever done that with your kids? <laughs> like, I mean, you know exactly, parents knew exactly what that meant. I want to beat them, but I, I, I mean, in Genesis, God says, I regret making mankind. I regret it. So he's sitting there with them. They're doing all their things. He's like, (sighs) but here's the difference between you and God, his sigh and your sigh. His sigh comes from a, Sovereign perfection. (laughs) Yours comes from uh, an imperfect, very jaded, uh, incomplete peace. And our sighs will bring us to do all kinds of things. God's sigh always brings him to do the right thing, the perfect thing. So what's the right response to our regrets, to our sighs, to our frustrations? Uh, We should feel something about it. We should feel Sorrow. We should feel sorry and frustrated about that action or inaction. And Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians. The kind of sorrow God wants, though, he he, he wants us to experience this kind of sorrow that brings repentance. Now, the word repentance just means take all the religious, uh, all the religious trappings of it and take all that, you know, push that away. Repentance just means 
change. It just means to turn and go a different direction. The kind of sorrow God wants us to experience brings a different direction. And it results in salvation. It results in a firm foundation of salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. So anytime you have a regret, when it brings you to an action of change based in the transformative power of Jesus, you're gonna have a regret, but you don't have to live with the regret. And as we finish up today, I just wanna offer you three responses to any regret, any pain in the past, any, anything that's, a, that's a, a habit, a holdup, a hangup that's causing you to wish things were different today. I want you to know a few things, three, three important truths today. The first is this, God still loves me. You should have reached out. You, you should have done the right thing. You should have put in the work. God still loves you. He still loves you. He's not mad at you. He's crazy about you. I love how the message says John 3, 17. Like this, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger telling the world how bad it was. He didn't just leave heaven to earth and say, man, you're a screw up. Oh, I know what you did last night. I can't say it out loud though, because I'm Jesus. He, he didn't come to point you a, accusing fever, a finger, telling the world how bad it was. Look, look what it says. He came to help. He still loves you. He loves you. And no matter what kind of regret you're living in, no matter what kind of shoulda, coulda, woulda, he can make all things new. You also need to know that God did what I couldn't. God did what I couldn't. And the whole story of the Bible is God did what you couldn't. God is who you aren't. God, God can what you can't. God will what you won't. And, and when it comes to the whole deal of it only I'd done the right thing, God says, you know what? My son, he who knew no sin, he took on all sin for you so that instead of you trying to pay the way, he paid the way so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see all your sin, he sees Jesus. And so if only you'd done the right thing, he did the right thing. And you can lean into his track record of doing the right thing. Oh, if only I'd just taken the chance. God took a chance on humanity and made us in his image and breathed into dirt and created us and loves us. And all he wants is relationship by your choice, not by demand. We love everything on demand. We want to be able to make the decisions, right? We want that choice. God gave you, built into you to live on demand, your own demand. And he invites you, if it's going to be a real relationship, that you would surrender your addiction to control and lean into real relationship with him. And if only I'd taken the chance to do this and do this and be bold, and yet God 
was so bold and the only two humans he ever was responsible to create it. All the others were up to us. Both of them failed. And he could have very easily just said, forget it. That's what I get for being bold. That's what I get for taking a chance. And yet even today, he still will take a chance with you. Because there's no guarantee of your perfection, but there is a promise of his. Oh, if only I'd reached out. I mean, that's what the story of the Bible is, that God reached out to you and to me. That in the middle of our sin, that while we were still addicted to our control and our final authority being us, he would send his son to die for me. If only I'd done the work. If only I'd done the work. <laughs> My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness, his work. It's not whatever I could work for. It's not whatever I could ever prepare. Do you know Jesus ascends into heaven and he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so many people, they live life trying to prepare their place in heaven. You're not up, it's not up to you to prepare it. He prepares it. He's done the work. Yeah, but I mean, what does that mean? That means that like, what do I do as a Christian? I, I mean, shouldn't I work? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure like, you know, faith without works is dead. Like show your faith, but you don't show your faith in order to earn the gift of Jesus. You show your faith because you love him. I, I, I wear the ring. I wear the ring to show I got a relationship here. Okay, this is, this is works of a, co a covenant relationship. It's just a ring, right? I, 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 work, I show this relationship because it means something. But yet when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, he did the work. I just have to rest in it. So over the next three weeks, next week, we'll talk about moral regrets. And we'll talk about the strongest man in the Bible physically who is one of the weakest men spiritually. Listen to me, men. Listen to me, men. It's amazing how strong men can be so weak and how weak men can be so strong. Let's learn the difference. We'll talk about moral regrets next week. The week after, we'll talk about boldness regrets and we'll look at Prince Jonathan, Saul's son, the best friend to King David, and how in the middle of not even knowing what might happen, what does courage under fire and courage fueled by faith really look like? And how can we have the antidote to these regrets that have to do with, oh, if only I'd taken the chance? We'll learn. Finally, on March 5th, we'll finish with connection regrets. And I'm going to share about the four horsemen of the relational apocalypse. Four ways to ruin every single relationship. You don't want to miss it. <laughs> and how many times these Horsemen just gallop in, and they even can become Trojan horses, secret enemies to us and our relationships. Why am I saying all this? Because write it down, number three. God has promised a remedy for every regret. He has promised a remedy for every regret, and it's not a to-do list. Let me tell you something. It is not a prescription. It is not a premonition. It is not a potion. His remedy is a person, and it is only and will be only, and it has always been Jesus. It's 
always been Jesus. And it'll always be Jesus. It sounds easy. <laughs> well, he says, come to me. All you who are weary and, and heavy with all your junk and your regrets, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. I carry the burden, and it is easy when you let him be the source of your strength. At every location, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And this isn't just a conclusion of a sermon. This is a, this is a transition to doing business with God. This is between you and the creator of the universe. And I want you to take a little inventory today. Is there any regrets, actions or inactions that the Holy Spirit might wanna identify that may be stalling you out, may have put a, a wheel in the ditch of your life? Maybe you're stuck. If the Holy Spirit is revealing something to you, what's beautiful about that is he always wants to heal what he reveals. So if there's anything he may be revealing to you, any, any regret, he wants to bring healing in those things. Would you just let him? Would you... If there's anything you regret, I regret that divorce. I mean, I've moved on, they've moved on. I regret that. Jesus wants to, wants to speak to you on that. I regret that I took the easy way out on this. I regret that I said that. I should not have said that. Okay, he wants to deal with you with that. He loves you so much. He wouldn't just leave it hidden. Ultimately, there may be this feeling of you need to invite Jesus to be the center of your life. I can tell you eternally that would be the biggest regret is not inviting him to be your Lord and Savior. Life without him is not really life. I can't force you to believe that, but if you choose to believe that today, you can take action on that today. And how you take action is you in your own mind, you choose to believe he is who he says he is. And you choose to, to surrender to his next steps in your life. So you maybe pray something like, Jesus, you are your God and you died for me in my place. And I cannot save myself and I do not want to be the final authority of my life. I want you to be the final authority. I, I'm not even for sure what all that means I'm going to have to change, but I want you to be in the center of it. And so I'm inviting you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, for preparing a place for me in heaven. I believe you are who you say you are and I wanna follow you today. And for every person in the room, at all of our rooms, <laughs> God, if we're feeling any regret today, 
any kind of sorrow. Oh, you can take that. And if it leads us to choose to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and putting you in the center of it, wow, that will lead to salvation. Thank you for always guiding us. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. And everybody said, amen.